Welcome to the Possibility Action Network podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton, a.k.a. Possibility Man. We're committed to bringing you guests who strive to better people's lives and serve as a force for good in the world. Our guest today is Quay Chapman Reed. She was born in the state of Mississippi, the Magnolia State. Did I get that right, Quay? I think so. (laughs) She attended the University of Mississippi where she earned her degrees. She has worked in education and in the corporate world. She has been a business owner and is currently a business development consultant and a columnist. She's the editor of the book, Outstanding Black Women of Yalabusha County. Quay, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Stephen. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Look, me too. I've been excited about this for a long time. But first, a reminder to our listeners and viewers, follow, like, and share this podcast, podcast wherever you find it. Your support matters. Because the more subscribers we get, the more exciting guests like Quay Reed will be able to bring to the show. Quay, you know, I know we will be talking about biography today, but I wanted you to give us a glimpse into your biography. Tell us a little bit about you, about Quay. Well, obviously, I think you mentioned that I'm from Mississippi. I was born in a small town uh, called Water Valley, Mississippi. Uh, which most people realize is about 18 miles from the University of Mississippi where I attended school. And I just grew up uh, typically poor and uh, Black and in the South. It was Uh uh, an interesting experience. Uh Uh-huh. So now the the name Quay, I must tell you, you are the first Quay I've ever met. So I'm assuming this is a story name for me. What's the story behind the name Quay? Uh, well, there are two stories. The uh, Quay, Q-U-A, the base uh, means like uh, pulling your ship into the dock or whatever, and it's French. But the real story is my mother stole the name from my aunt in order that m- my middle name rhymes with my sister's. So there was Tommy May, Alma Fay. And unfortunately, I ended up with Dorothy Quay. All right. <laughs> See, I so. knew there was a story to it. Because, uh, <laughs> people who watch this or listen to this, we want to know where did this name came from? You gave us a nice story about that. Now, you worked um, as a business development consultant. Uh, what, what's that, what does that involve? Um, well, you know, it started, I actually worked in corporate America, you know, for the Wall Street Journal And uh, that's where I developed my business skills. And once I left the journal, or actually while I was with the journal, I decided that I would start doing business development training and really more so on the nonprofit side. I I worked for Goodwill and then I did a lot of uh, other organizations where basically teaching individuals how to write their business plan, how to start their business, how to find finances and that kind of thing. So I continue to do that on a limited basis. Yeah, well, that's very important. You got some important skills there. I'm sure someone is going to try to refine you to get you to talk with them about their business plan. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So um, now you've also been a business owner. Is this the business that you've had helping people? Yes, develop? yes, yes. I, I work under the, the name Chapman Reed Associates uh, <laughs> Business Consulting. Yes. Do you do you love that? You know, do you feel the pull of owning your business? 
Well, you know, not so much now. It's turned into really my marketing, uh, my work, my pro and working on my own projects. Uh -huh. So now I just do basically one-on-one -on -one consulting with individuals. I mentioned um, Goodwill, which was Goodwill of North Georgia, and they have various programs for women and men. And once they finish the course, I uh, provide one-on-one -on -one cons consultation for them, mentoring. Mm -hmm. I see. Now, I know today, and we'll get deeper into this in a moment, but you do a lot of work with biographies, with uh, especially the women in Yalabusha County. But uh, so when did you become interested in biographies generally? Is this something that, you know, as a child, for example, were you interested in the biographies of other people or is this something that came later? Well, uh, it came later. Actually, it was uh, following a funeral in what they call the Quad Cities in Illinois, mm. where I had gone to a cousin's funeral, and the second person to get up to speak mentioned having been in my mother's Sunday school class, my cousin and he having been in my mother's Sunday school class. So on the way back to uh, O'Hare, uh, airport in Chicago, I started thinking about all the women who had poured into my life and the lives of so many others. And I said, you know, we should try to recognize them. And that's how uh, it all came about. I um, contacted the local paper in Water Valley and it just started from a newspaper column. Well, that's an amazing insight. So there must've been, was there tugging in your soul about this or was it something you just had the inspiration? You said, yes, I'll do it. Well, you know, actually I was at a point where I, I, I Quite honestly, I was actually getting ready to go into the hospital for a major procedure. And uh, I guess that's what kept me moving is to focus on something else. So it was from the hospital that I wrote to the editor of the paper in Water Valley, the North Mississippi Herald, and proposed that we do a column featuring outstanding Black women of Yellowbusha. And mm -hmm. of course, I didn't even expect to get a positive response, oh. but yes, I did. So wow. he was in, agree in agreement and the column started in uh, June or July mm -hmm. of 2018. That's fantastic. So Yalabusha is the county that you grew up in where Water Valley yes. is located. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you envision, you know, expanding to other counties in Mississippi like Octavia, for example? Oh yeah, well, you know, that's exactly, that has that has been what I have been speaking about most recently doing Black History Week uh -huh. and uh, Women's History Month or Black History Month. I spoke at the um, Mississippi Museum in Jackson twice, and I was also at the University of Southern Mississippi and, uh, and some things around the Atlanta area where I am promoting telling our own story. Yeah. You know, we should be telling our story and not allowing other people to tell it for us. So mm -hmm. I'm, and when I was at the uh, Mississippi Book Festival last year, I talked to several other people who said, well, could you come to our county and talk to us about doing this? So that's why I am promoting and offering my services to anyone who might be interested in doing the same type of project. Yeah, so why do you think it's important for people to tell their stories? Why is this okay. important from this standpoint? Because uh, of the sacrifices that they made and the impact that they've made on other people's lives. I, I think it's a good example, especially for uh, young people, young, 
uh, people these days need to understand the sacrifices that others have made to get them where they are today and why they need to continue to strive for, for the same kinds of, of accomplishments, to give back and to serve and to be served. Yeah. So you think that people can be inspired by biography? People can be informed oh, yeah. by, yeah, by okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. As and and we use the term uh, memoirs for some reason, you know, is is uh, you know, people are into documenting their family history. And once they start researching ancestry.com or whoever, they discover fantastic role models that they didn't know about. So if they have some of these role models still now living in their lives, they should try to, to record their stories because yeah. stories are overwhelming. Yeah, what you did. Yes, please finish your thought. Just an overwhelming and fantastic stories of, you know, what people have done, you know, maybe the first to register in their town or they were involved in starting uh, an organization, a chapter of the NAACP. Uh, you know, we just have some we have some outstanding unsung heroes yeah. in, in, in this country that need yeah. to be lifted up. Yeah, but you've been a good point. Uh, Ancestry.com, that, that says a lot that people are interested, you know, mm -hmm. in identifying people in their, in their families and their communities who have done things to make a difference in the world. So how do you go about doing your work? Let's say you, you, you wanted to start this project in 2018. How did you come up with, okay, I'm going to find the first person. How did you do that? How did you go about that? You know what? Um... It was really easy when we when we wrote the first uh, column. That's what I did. I asked people to contact me if if they have individuals who have influenced their lives in a positive way, mm. uh, uh, females basically. So yeah. it was really an opportunity for people to write about you know their loved ones or their yeah. school teacher or their pastor or uh, their community leader. And fortunately, one family had recently celebrated a hundredth birthday for their mother. And they had done a beautiful program, which they were able to send to me. And they actually included a, a story in her own words. Mm -hmm. So I we were able to capture that information and publish a story about Miss Sally Ann Polk. Hmm. And uh, one of the stories that she told was about how her father had to draw pictures of their feet to take to the store to buy their shoes because they could not go into the store, into the shoe store. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. what what was the response of the people that you contacted for their stories or the stories of their family members? Well, you know, here we are now, we're almost uh, 60 articles later, oh. 45 articles, we did a compilation, and that is what is in my book. And um, the column started in July, and by October, the University of Mississippi, the Center for the Study of Southern Culture contacted me about doing a collaboration. So this project has grown immensely. Uh, that it's turned into an oral history project at the university where uh, the university provided me with PhD students who interviewed black families in Yellowbusha County. And those interviews are posted on the University of Mississippi website. Well, I bet you so didn't that, see that that's coming. That's one reaction. That's great. I mean, I bet you didn't see that coming, did you? They're I did not. Yeah. I did not. And, yeah. and then, then, of course, 
uh, when I met with the professors and the students, I took my yearbook, my uh, scrapbooks, because I had worked for the university uh, as a recruiter for three years after I graduated. So I had quite a collection. So once they saw my scrapbooks, they said, you know, I think the library might be interested in this. And I'm going like, really? So sure enough, um, during the pandemic, I packed up 50 years of my life and sent it to the University of Mississippi. And that collection opened in September 2022. That's, that's fantastic. When I visit Mississippi again, if I make my way to Oxford, I got to look at look up the Quay Chapman Reed collection. That's please do, please <laughs> do. And, yeah. and you can uh you can look at the index on my website to see what's in it. And I I uh warned all of my friends, I said you guys, I sent them all the pictures. So they have all the pictures of our afros and all of that stuff. So yeah. 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 And we'll we'll and I, I got some I, I I took note of some of the women who are in your book and I'll I'll identify them in a moment and see if you want to say anything about them. But what do you hope people, let's say in the United States, I'm asked you two questions about this. Uh, because we talk about the importance of this, what do you hope people in the United States would learn from the stories that these women and their families are sharing with you? Oh my goodness. Um, I, I hope that people will see what a, what a strong race of people we are and what strong black women there were who held things together doing um, you know, immediately after uh, slavery. Um, I, I just, you know, I hear from readers across the country, black and white, uh, talking about how much they enjoy the articles and, you know, they speak about people who they might've known at one time and, or, or you know, they learn that even, even the maids, the, the the black maids who influenced the lives of white families. In a lot of instances, the white families or the children that they were caring for didn't even know their last name, or they just remembered, uh, you know, say Miss Juanita Cox because uh, we loved Juanita's fried chicken. But now they're they're responding to the articles and showing their love for those women mm -hmm. who left their children at home to go take care of other children. Mm -hmm. And I myself, my mother was a maid, and a lot of us we didn't know where our our moms were going during the day when we went to school. So it's, it's just it's a lot to be learned from these stories about these women. Like I said, uh, Annie Kelly Montgomery, for instance, was my Sunday school superintendent. And I used to, I remember having to go to Sunday school and kiss her on the cheek every Sunday. And I, did, I hated it. Mm -hmm. But then several years later, when I'm over at um, ITC or Phillips School of Theology, I see a book that was written by a retired bishop. And I look in there and there's an article about Annie Kelly Montgomery, mm -hmm. who was very well known in the CME church. Right. So, you know, it's just, a, it's a lot, you can learn, we can learn a lot. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I want you, this is a, a hope question or thought question. I gotta ask it. What do you hope ideally, let's say from an ideal standpoint, people throughout the world could learn from them some of these stories? I guess it's all about love and commitment and faith because those were key things that kept these women going is their you know their love of god their commitment 
you know, their struggles, you know, their fights against racism, uh, how they they pushed on regardless of what was going on. Uh, this article in the book about how uh, one of the branches of the NAACP had to, to uh, encourage, they voted to have people insist on being called Mr. and Mrs. in the grocery stores or wherever they had accounts. You know, some of the simple things yeah. that our, our parents had to do as they, as they pushed forward. Yeah. Making yeah. a better society. Yeah, I mean, I, and I like it that you put the emphasis on unsung heroes, unsung. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. because sometimes we look at the, you know the big stars, you know Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer and and the right. like, but we don't see the little ones. Why is this important to you, though, to put the spotlight on some of these individuals who, you know, until now have not appeared in the history book? Right, right. history books. It's, yeah, it is. It was my way of giving back. It was my way of giving back to them and saying thank you and we appreciate you and 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 documenting and telling their stories because there's so many stories, so many good things that they did mm -hmm. that went on have gone unrecognized. So. At, and and one thing that we're doing right now is that we're videotaping some of these women for an event in October, October 14th in Water Valley. It's an event called Art Crawl, but we're going to um, hopefully put together a film and screen it on October 14th. So we want to capture this, not even not just in print, but we want to get some of these ladies on film because you know they're approaching 90 and 95, and you know they're getting up there. That sounds like a wonderful project. And if anyone is watching, listening to this uh, this video, this recording, I hope that they would make note of that date, October 14th. I can't yeah. promise that I'll be there, but I'll tell you what, I've made a mental note of it. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a place that I would like love to be for sure. Um, well, you know, so I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Last point on that. You know what we're hoping, of course, is that you know that it will end up being a documentary that we can distribute nationwide. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. I love it for sure. And look, I want to um, ask you about uh, just a few of these women. And if, if you, if, if you, I know when you write a book, it's difficult to recall everything in it. But I'm gonna throw some names out there, and if you want okay. to comment and tell us a little bit, are uh, you willing to do that with me? Okay. I will try. Okay, great. Well, the first one, and she, she caught my attention for special reasons. When I give you the name, you'll know why. You know, she spoke to me. Her name is Mrs. Jane Ophelia Williams Pritchard. Oh, <laughs> well, that's my grandmother. And uh, she is featured prominently on the cover of my book. And, and she's wearing a white bonnet. And uh, she was born in 1871. And I did know her. Uh, on the cover of the book, there is... Um, we, I don't know who any of the other women are. I mean, that's what I'm saying. They're standing on the steps of the courthouse in Water Valley, Mississippi. They are holding white bags in their hand. Some people have told me that maybe they were part of a washerwoman's strike during the late 1800s, early 1900s. I'm not sure. But yeah, that was that was my grandmother. Uh -huh. what, do you, what do you remember about her? I guess I remember that she had such a peaceful, quiet spirit, you know, uh, how she, she could just, you know, sit on the porch and be so content. And then when she got her check, 
I guess it was monthly, she and I would walk to town. We lived about a mile and a half from downtown. She would uh, have her list of the things that she wanted to buy. So I would go with her and get all of her things that she wanted. And then we'd walk back home. She uh, loved her snuff, if you know what that meant, and chewing on those uh, wooden toothpicks things, you know, handmade, self-made twigs or whatever. Uh, she was just a beautiful woman, beautiful, strong Christian woman that I, that yeah. I love very much. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, when I saw that and, and I saw that connection to you and it just kind of hit me. I said, oh, boy, I got to ask her about that. But, you know, the thing is that people who learn about these women or even think about their families, we can draw strength, right? Wouldn't you say that from? Yes, 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 yes. Draw strength and encouragement and, you know, zeal, the whole works. I mean, yeah. it just keeps us pushing forward, you know, to make for a better society for everyone. Yeah, because I'm sure Mrs. Pritchard did a lot with very little. She's, oh. Would you say? Yes, she certainly did. Yeah. Yes, yes. Let me ask you this. I'm not sure if you if you have this memory, but do you remember her cooking? Not so much so. No, because okay. you know when she came she came to live with us, and you know my mother did most of the cooking, so I don't really remember. It. I just remember her telling me about different relatives, about mm -hmm. different uh, things that she did. As a as a child uh, and as a young adult, you know that kind that kind of that's what I remember most. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is your mother in the book? Yeah, my mom's in the book. Okay. I, I wrote about my mom. My mother was uh, had an eighth grade education. My father could not read or write, but we did own our own property. My father was a farmer. Um, and that was something that we were real proud of owning our own land, but we were not, we, but we were still kind of poor, you know, poor. And, um, my mother was very involved in, in church work and community work. Uh, as a matter of fact, she used to take us to the Memphis zoo on the back of a, what we called a cattle gap truck. And she took us to the, uh, Mississippi penitentiary um those were true learning experiences for someone you know never stayed in a hotel never ate in a restaurant but she she was the kind of person that uh people in water valley or other older folk older than me will say yes i remember miss helen she took us here she took us there you know she did a lot of that she did uh -huh. a lot of that. what's her name your mother uh, my mother's name is Lula B. Helen Chapman. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is Lula. Do you remember her cooking? Of course I do. <laughs> of course I do. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. tell you, um, you got me thinking about the people in my life growing up, you know, my, my one of my uncles or my grandmother, my grandfather. This is such an important project, Koi. I'm so glad you're doing it. Here's another name for you. Mrs. Lily Mae Caldwell Roberts. Oh yeah, Miss Lily Mae Caldwell Roberts. Uh, she was actually featured in a book called Delta Jewels by Alicia Steele, one of the professors at the university, along with Dorothy Key, who was also in my book. But Miss Lily uh, Mae Roberts was, oh, she was so stylish. I was talking to her 
and it took me a while to remember who she really was. And then because she had remarried. And so when I said, oh, my God, Miss Lily, may I remember you, your beautiful hats, your, your walk, your stroll, all of that. So but anyway, she was the first woman uh, publicly noted to first black woman to register to vote in Yellow Busha County, or I should rephrase that the first black person. Mm -hmm. She admits, though, that there might have been others who registered before her, but they were afraid to admit it, you know, because they were probably school teachers or whatever and didn't want to get fired. But it was a what we called a road supervisor who encouraged her and her husband, Mr. Joe, to go and register. And she said they did. And he had his Mr. Joe had his pistol in his pocket when they went to the courthouse. And she said as they walked down the hallway, people were coming out the door, you know, saying, like, where are they going? Who is that? What they're doing? And so she answered all the hard, difficult questions that they asked back in those days. And she was allowed to register. Mr. Joe, who could not read, he wasn't allowed to register. So that and she is still living. She's in, she just recently, I think she turned 95 last year. Mm -hmm. So um but she she has she's uh, something else, just something else. She's yeah. been recognized in her church and as well as throughout the community. Right. Yeah. You just you just referenced the literacy tests, which some states or you know local uh, precincts employ to keep certain people from voting. Mm -hmm. uh, so what what can you tell? Because some some people listening to this or watching this, especially young people, have no idea of what you just said about the tests. So it's called a literacy test. What else can you tell us? Yeah, well, it's, I, I can't remember exactly what she said that they asked her, but I think they had her read uh, maybe the preamble to the Constitution and something else, you know, to make sure she understood what that was. And fortunately, she was able to read that and to respond to two questions. You know, they might have asked her, you know, what does what does this mean? What does that mean? Difficult words or whatever in order to vote. Right. And, you know, what, what people need to understand is that these tests were designed to keep people from voting. Right. It wasn't right. a test of a person's literacy, per se. It was a prohibitive test. And you know, here's a funny story. Some of the examiners, you know, uh, looking at history, right, some of the examiners themselves couldn't read that well. It couldn't, uh, didn't understand some of the things that they were asking. But exactly. It was less, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, that, that's just, just amazing that this lady uh, was able was able to do that. She had the courage, the yeah, courage and indeed. the nerves to do that. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. I think she said, you know what she said, that she told the, um, the supervisor told her that he would be there. So hopefully he was outside watching yeah, as yeah. well. You know. That's great. Um, you know, someone needs to, I uh, you know, wish someone had recorded his thinking at the time. Exactly. As well. Exactly. Yeah. Well, here's another woman for you, um, Quay. Mrs. Georgia Ann White. Georgia Ann White. I, I realize that there are many of them. You will not recall all of them, but she caught by. Yeah. Georgia Ann. Yeah. While you think about that, though, I just want to ask you a different kind of question. Okay. What also, I noticed in some of the photographs that are online at your website and elsewhere mm -hmm. of how stylish these women were. Did that strike you as well that, you know, how these women really knew how to put themselves together and their hair, their hats? 
Of course, of course, because uh, like Miss Sally Ann Pope, the first article in the book, I mean, she's in a pink outfit and a beautiful hat. Yes, uh, all of them were just totally adorned. Yeah. Um, Mildred Polk is in the book and she had uh, traveled to Africa. So we have some pictures of her in her African attire. Wow. So just really beautiful yeah. women. Beautiful. You know, you just reminded me of a couple of things. Hope you don't mind me sharing it. And it's about my mother. My mother, Quay, knew how to put herself together. Now, this is a woman who had no early education, but she could not read it. But this woman was one of the most stylish adult women I've ever seen. And she loved her hats, her suits and hats. It's amazing. And uh, there's something else that you just reminded me of, and I want you to say more about the lady you just talked about in her African attire. When I went to Ghana, I brought, brought back a, a, a dress, you know, for my mother and took a picture of her in this dress. I'm not sure if her, if her grandchildren understand the significance, but gosh, she looked like a queen. Really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that, and so what do you recall about this woman that you just referenced and the dress that she was wearing? Uh, from an African yeah, yeah. Um, and Mildred was probably maybe a year or two ahead of me in high school mm -hmm. and uh, has become a minister. And that's part of, I guess she was on a mission trip. So, you know, just the, the turban, the uh, outfit, all of that. Just, you know, she adapted so well to her visit over there and came back with such beautiful outfits that we had to include that that in the book, you that's, know. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, I tell you, that caught me. Oh, she did. Um, let's see, did I mention Mrs. Sally Ann Polk? Did I just ask about her? Yeah, I just, yeah, I okay. just talked about uh, her. her okay. beautiful Here's outfit. another one. I'm going to throw some curveballs at you. So okay. it's okay, because I know you got a ton of women. You will not be able to remember call all of them. But what about Mrs. Emma Spency Gooch? Oh, Miss Emma Gooch. Yes. Yeah. Now, see, um, she lived on uh, what we call the, uh, I think it was the Gooch Farm. Okay. It was like a, uh, and um, I would, I was on the bus, the bus that picked up the kids from from her from the area where she lived, and she would always come to the bus and talk to the bus driver about, you know, making sure all of us were taken care of and everything. And I was just like so impressed with her, you know. Uh, and it was a big family of Gooches. So her granddaughter, Emma, my high school classmate, wrote the article about her, and she was named for her grandmother. But she was uh, an activist, an oh. activist. She was a community leader and an activist, always fighting for the rights of the uh, the disadvantaged. Uh -huh. Yeah, Miss Emma. You know, I tell you, Quay, um, I hope that people around the country will just be inspired by the work that you're doing. Yeah. Because in my own community, there are women like the ones you mentioned, exactly. mentioning that, you know, they've just, they've, you know, they've passed on now, mm -hmm. but their stories I think are so important. And that's what you, right. that's what you're telling us, isn't it? Yes, oh, yes. And you know, uh, Stephen, what I did when um, I saw how this was going, I just put together a spreadsheet of all the women that I knew and started contacting them or their loved ones. And there are several that, you know, hesitated because they don't like to write or we don't want to talk about it or, you know, those kinds of stories. So these, my book and column just features a collection of women, not all of them. Uh -huh. You know, a lot of the women are educators 
Uh, a lot of them were, like I said, homemakers and maids like my mother. A lot of them worked in the factories and all of that. Miss um, Mamie Shields, for ex example, was a um, home demonstration agent. You know, she went around and taught people how to what foods to grow and purchase and cook. You know, there's just just so many. Some of them started schools even. You know, and they went and education was an issue. They were allowed to teach with a high school degree, but a lot of them went on to several colleges over the summers to get their BS degree and beyond. And, you know, that that just showed such stamina and fortitude. Yeah, I, I'm just impressed just thinking about, I lived in Mississippi, by the way, for 11 years. Oh, uh, did you? And, yeah, and I met people who were teachers in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And you know, six. I'm thinking, how did they become teachers? It's just incredible, right? Um, right. You know. So, yeah. how did you feel about that? To you know, to touch these people who were teachers at a time when you know some people had you know uh, of certain backgrounds had difficulties uh, navigating that. How did that? How did that make you feel? I, I am just. I, I am blessed. I am mm -hmm. so blessed. We were so blessed to have them, and glad that they persevered and set an example for us. You know, because much of what we have accomplished, what I have accomplished, and so many of my friends in Water Valley have been on the backs of these people who were, you know, cleaning. I had no idea that some of the men in my hometown uh -huh. were working on the college campus when I was in school. I, I didn't realize that, you know, I just, I was so naive. My cousins worked in the cafeteria, I knew that, but it's amazing now to learn that some of the men and women from Water Valley, you know, were driving that 18 miles up to Oxford, working on the university campus where, where you know, 10 years before they couldn't even take a class or anything. So, I mean, this is just a way to give back. And, and, and it's so like most of the communities that, that we've grown up in, you yeah. know, that's what I say. Other people can do the same thing that, that, that I've done with this project. And that's they should. A, that's great. I tell you what, you are an, you yourself are an inspiration. Now, now is your biography, Quay, in the book? No, no. Oh, come on, come on. It, it no, has to no, be there. But, but this, they had to force me to write about my mother. You know, oh. they kept saying, well, you keep calling us, asking us to write about our people. Why don't you write about Miss Helen is what they used to call my mom. So, you know, and we had such good, good teachers. Miss um, Ruby Hall is one that we all loved so dearly. And her two daughters wrote about her. And I tell you, when I got their rough draft, I I was just crying. I could not take it. I, even when I tried to edit it, I was still crying uh -huh. because of the impact that um, Mrs. Hall had made on so many of us, but yet and still, we didn't know the sacrifices she had made. She was, she did hair, you know, and her husband was a barber. So, you know, people hung and she taught math for 20 plus years. So people always hung out at her house. But I, what I didn't know is that they had made a mini trip to Jackson, the capital, trying to get disability for Mr. Hall. And they were never able to do that. They had seven children, you know, uh, to tell you a funny story and, and they'll probably kill me for this. But um, her oldest daughter and I were in high school together, we were freshmen at Ole Miss together. The second daughter came and she, she was, we were in the dorm and they says, well, we got something to tell you. And they said, uh, mom is having a baby. And we went, what? 
having a baby. <laughs> we could not believe, we were like, oh, yeah. she's too old to be having a baby. It's already <laughs> six of y'all. Mm. And that baby was born and we loved her so much. And she is an outstanding attorney out in Phoenix, uh, Phoenix Arizona, as we speak. That's so, wonderful. You know, just, oh, anyway. Yeah. And, but and Mrs. Hall was one of the ones who, like my mom, drove us back and forth to school. And oh, that's what that's, I'm saying. That's great. That's a great story. Now you yeah. pivoted. You pivoted, Quabe, and asked you about yourself. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. Let, me, let, me, let me roll back about you. So thinking back when you were in school, you know, as a youngster, as far back as you want to go, who are some of your teachers that inspired you? Oh, Just a couple goodness. of them. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um. Oh, let's see. You know what? I, I'll start with uh, Miss Dolan Henderson, who was the principal of the elementary school. And there was Mrs. Dahlia McLeod, who was also a principal at one point. But then there was Miss Hazel Hawkins, my third grade teacher. Oh, my gosh. Miss uh, Miss Annie Kelly. I mean, Miss um, Miss Lucy Kelly is in the book. She was another of our teachers. So there was just so many of them. They they just oh they loved us and they nourished us and and we just we owe them so much because like I said when you think about the sacrifice they had to make you know to put gas in their car if they had a car you know just you know and they taught us uh, you know they they instilled morals in us that we live by today mm -hmm. you know. So, like I said, there was just there's so many others. Um, there was a lady who lived next door to the school, and I was, haven't been able to get her children to write about her, Miss Sylvia Bland. You know, where if if a child needed a change of clothes, everybody said, "Well, go get some from Miss Sylvia." If somebody forgot their lunch, go see what Miss Sylvia can do. Just you know, and think about growing up in that house where you, where everybody from your school came and asked your mom for something. So yeah. we just had a lot of lot of out that's what i'm saying outstanding women outstanding yeah, yeah. but i want to stay with one quay for a little longer okay. now okay. you've been around education uh your entire life and now you are right you know you're you're a writer so is this where did this come from this does this were you always interested in education or did the bug like hit you at some later at some point well you know what when i graduated from high school my intent was not to go to college i had had uh, high school was so frustrating because it was um, 1969, 1970. We were getting ready to, we were going to be the last class to graduate from the all-Black high school. And, uh, you know, that we were emotional about that. And so they sent in the fall of 69, we had a white counselor for the first time, and they started testing us. And they didn't explain what the testing was for, you know, these achievement tests. Yeah. So uh, we were, my class was a little radical, so radical that they decided that we as juniors were not mature enough to take the seniors on a senior trip. Mm. So we had kind of a bad taste in our mouth. And so when I graduated, I was bound and determined to get out of Mississippi. I went to Detroit trying to find a job, couldn't find a job, had to come back. And my mother says, well, I guess you're going to school. 
So the night before registration, she took me to um, Mrs. Doxy Foster's house in Oxford. I spent the night there. Ms. Doxy called another, uh, called Jennifer Jackson, who was already enrolled to pick me up. So I went to school, Stephen, with no financial aid, no dorm, nothing but my little suitcase and maybe five or $10 that my mother had given me. Uh -huh. So long story short, I ended up working registration at the university. And it was through uh, my uh, working in the computer center and registration that uh, a graduate student who had come one summer told he was working in admissions and he says, well, you know, they're getting ready to hire a black recruiter. You should apply. And I said, I don't think so. You know, so I was a senior in college. And I had, you know, I'd written articles in the Daily Mississippian. I had my Afro, my Angela Davis look. And all. <laughs> so, yeah. so, but I did apply. And, yeah. and that summer, that summer, I was working at my cousin's service station on Main Street, Water Valley, in my Daisy Duke shorts. I had also applied to be a narcotics agent. I passed the test jumped over all those high hurdles of physical tests, which I wish I could do to this day. Anyway, I turned that job down. Ole Miss offered me the job and I became the first black admissions counselor and actually the first black person hired on the administrative level, on the administration level at the University of Mississippi. Uh -huh. And I ended up recruiting for three years. I, we tripled minority enrollment while I was recruiting. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah. Uh, with the help of you know other students who went on recruiting trips with me. And um, from there, I ended up at East Tennessee State as the uh, assistant director of the student center. Uh -huh. And then I got married, moved to Atlanta, and that's what started my corporate career with the Wall Street Journal and then McGraw-Hill. And uh, uh, that was that was it. And yeah. that's how I got. <laughs> that's that's a nice biography. And I know there's much more in it, but I, I want to stay with you a little longer. Um, so, you know, you mentioned being in Mississippi uh, in the 60s and near Oxford. Um, you know, you and I both were around when James Meredith went to the University of Mississippi. Do you recall anything about that, seeing it on the news? Or yeah, what can you tell yeah. us about? Yeah, oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, you asked me about my grandmother and yeah. I remember all of us being scared. You know, we just knew that something was going on in Oxford. I can't even remember if we had a television. I think we did. But um, it was like shut down. You know, we were 18 miles away, but we knew that there was something very volatile happening uh, in Oxford at the time. I remember my grandmother being real concerned about that. And, you know, because uh, we were sheltered. I guess I should have said that before. You know, I knew about the Freedom Riders mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, my mom and other people attended meetings and all that kind of stuff, but they kind of kept all that away from us. But yes, we, we knew something was going on in Oxford and, um, we were just hoping that it didn't spread, you mm -hmm. know, that was the main thing. Mm -hmm. And of course, later on, as um, as a recruiter for the for the university, I did get to meet uh, James Meredith then. And we went over to the dorm where he stayed and toured the campus and all of that. 
And, you know, just recently with the opening of my collection and the anniversary of the integration of the University of Mississippi, yeah. uh, we were together with him in Oxford in September. Yeah, that's fantastic. So yeah. Uh, in 1964, uh, I'm not sure if this is a, an event that touched you. Freedom Summer came to Mississippi. Uh, do you did you have any contact with any of those civil rights workers? You know what the the one person that I always remember was Cotton Reader. Okay. And I was so disappointed uh, to know that he was here in Atlanta and he passed away a few years ago. I would mm. have loved to have met him. I can't okay. remember his first name right now, mm -hmm. but it was because when the older when the older people would talk about the Freedom Riders, they would always say, and you know, and a cotton reader is doing this and cotton reader is doing that. I'm going, what kind of name is that? You know? <laughs> but that was as close as I was able to get to it. But I knew mm -hmm. that people were uh, registering to vote, you know, because my mom had been one of the founding members of the uh, NAACP chapter in Water Valley. So I knew that was going on. But other than that, being on somewhat of an alert, you know, we mm -hmm. were just taught to be on alert, you know, mm -hmm. certain things you don't do in a small Southern Mississippi town, right. you know, we still had you know, we still had some white and colored signs and different mm -hmm. doors to go in and and that kind of thing. So that's mm -hmm. as close as I, I got to that. Right. So mm -hmm. now, um, still want to stay with you a little longer, Quay. You pivoted on me, so I got I got to press you. Um, so you were in Mississippi at the University of Mississippi in Oxford, and I want to repeat that. Yes. You were at the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, in the mm -hmm. early seventies. What was that experience like for you? Oh my goodness. Now, you know, I, I have to just, I should just tell everybody, you can just go to my website and you can hear the talk that I made on September 29th, where I summarized my Ole Miss experience. And um, I'm going to say that it was, it was a, a, a positive and learning experience overall, because, but you know, having mentioned before, you know, not really ever eating in a restaurant or staying in a hotel or whatever, but, you know, going to uh, Ole Miss, where my class that entered in 1970, we were probably the largest group of Black students. It was probably 60 uh, or so of us. So that brought the number of Black students up to about 200 students. And I was so impressed. I was impressed by the um, the quality of the older students and the love that they showed us. At the same time, you know, we had to prepare ourselves to be like the only black person in the classroom, you know, to keep your ears tuned to uh, tune out any racial uh, slurs, anything that you heard. Um, and to try to focus on getting your education. And that's what we tried to do. And there yeah. were there were a lot of distractions. You know, yeah. there were a lot of distractions. Yeah. You know, how did, but, how did that make you feel? Do you, if you recall, I knew we were going way back. Um, how did it make you feel? Well, I, you know, I, I felt uh somewhat inferior, but as I said, we we had a close-knit group in terms of the Black Student Union. We had a Black student advisor, the late uh, Reverend Wayne Johnson. Mm -hmm. We had meetings, you know, uh, where they offered tutorial help. And we were encouraged. We had a corner in the student union where you could meet and hang out with, with some of the law students who also encouraged us. Legal services was, you know, big at the time. And they were fighting 
for uh, you know more students in law school. You know, it it was it was um, it was in, empowering. Mm -hmm. I got I guess I should say. You know, I I saw black students who uh, Ralph Lasseter, who had already invented something, students who came from all across the state of Mississippi who had a better education than I did, you know, mm -hmm. better quality of education. And that was apparent, but no one looked down upon anybody. We all helped each other. We mm -hmm. all helped each other. I never thought, Stephen, that I would be the one to be recruiting for the University of Mississippi. But my goal was to recruit students to go to college, no matter where they went, and yeah. to inform them about financial aid and admissions and the process, and to let them see, if I can do it, you can do it. That sounds good. And I'll tell you what, uh, the next book that you write, you did a big <laughs> chapter about Quay Chapman Reed, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about your book. Um, and we've been talking about biographies, but overall, outstanding Black women of Yalabucha County. Tell, you know, or just, you know, give us a synopsis of what you try to do in that collection. You, you know, I really, I don't, I shouldn't take full credit for the book because. Um, it's a compilation of 45 articles that appeared in the North Mississippi Herald newspaper originally, mm -hmm. and they were written by different people, and I usually did the introduction, and I might have done the closing, or I might have done the, the full article, and interestingly enough, I got a call this morning from Miss um, Ruby Turner, who is in her 90s, telling me that she had written an article and her grandson was gonna be sending it to me shortly. So that's one thing about this, this whole project. At a moment when I think, oh, there's nothing else to do, there's no, nobody else wants to write anything, out of the blue, somebody yeah. comes up with it. Yeah. And yeah. you know, in January uh, last year, because so many men had said, well, why don't you write about the men? Why don't you write about the men? <laughs> so we started including the men. So those articles are on my website. But getting back to the book, like I said, it's just, it's a combination of uh, a compilation of 45 articles about women. And there are some about men. As a matter of fact, as a, um, veterans tribute, I wrote about my brother uh, who served in Vietnam. And uh, I posted all of the letters in his own words that he wrote to my mother while he was in Vietnam. And that was my, that was my Veterans Day uh, tribute to him. Um, there's an article, a couple articles in there written by a Jackson State professor that is, that is he's, he's just renowned. Anyway, he wrote about his mother and he wrote about his mother's relationship with the, the white female owner of the property or the plantation that they lived on. So the book has a lot of different, different stories yeah. in it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome, Quay. I'm so glad you, um, you answered the call when you received the urging to do this this project. It's just wonderful. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Is there anything else you want to share with us before we uh, end uh, our conversation? Well, just like, you know, like I said before, um, for it to have started with just a simple idea of recognizing people who had made a positive impact, uh, it has really grown beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah. One of the articles in the um, book or two. One of them, though, is written by um, a white girl from Water Valley, Camille, mm -hmm. and she talks about the the maid, though she interviewed her girlfriends, all of whom who had maids, and it was just interesting that we were able to connect 
and they were able to share their stories about those women who basically raised them. So it's just, I, I, I don't know, there are just so many, yeah. so many stories and so many good memories and how this project keeps growing. Uh, like I said, I never thought that it would turn into an oral history project where the students interviewed families and uh, they did a spoken word presentation in Water Valley and at the university. So all those students have gone on and all earned their PhDs now. Um, and now this next segment where we are in the process of videotaping these ladies and I'm just anxious to see how it's gonna come out. I'm gonna probably try to do the narration uh, once she finishes. We have about 15 women lined up to be uh, videotaped, so. Well, Corey Chapman-Reed, you're just awesome. I'm so glad you're doing this. And it was my pleasure to be with you today. Oh, thank you, Stephen. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed okay. it. And we'll have to do it again, after, okay. especially after the uh, videotaping is done and maybe a documentary is out there. So I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna hold you to it. I'm gonna hold okay. you to it. We'll be talking All right. again. All right. Sounds great. You've been listening to the Possibility Action Network podcast. Our guest today has been Quay Chapman Reed. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton. Until next time, good day. <laughs> <laughs>